Welcome to the Living Hope Church audio podcast. Join us weekly as Pastor Jeff Myers shares from God's Word. If you'd like more information about Living Hope Church of Dixon, California, please visit our website at livinghopedixon.com. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Good to see everybody. Turn to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. So, um, I don't know about you guys, but I am sweating. Anybody else sweating? I got a towel. You can borrow it if you want. So, anyway, good. Um, we're going to, I wanted to talk about this, this idea of, uh, well, Jesus today. We're going to talk about Jesus today. Uh, it's a cool thing to talk about when you, when you go to church. And so, uh, as, we, as we do that, we're, we're going we're to use the backdrop of, of Paul's letter to, to uh, the Colossians to do that. But I was thinking about how our world, uh, that, you know, especially kind of the American culture that we live in, how it seems like that there is, uh, you know, as time goes on, less and less room for Jesus in our society. Uh, how Christ and his teachings, the teachings of the Bible... Um, you know, the kind of traditionally the teachings of the church that are being more and more as time goes on kind of crowded out of uh, the picture uh, to the point that, um, let, me, let me use a, a great example, and this is not a political statement, I'm just, it's just an example, how um, we, we really, uh, you guys remember when you were um, young and you, uh, you know, maybe you'd gather with your family for Thanksgiving and there was the, the big adult table that everybody would gather around and then there would be a couple card tables set up for the kids and you, 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 most of us had to go sit at the kid table, you know, and maybe even up until you were, you know, married and had kids of your own, you were still relegated to the kid table if, depending on the size of your family or whatever. But, uh, it, you know, it, it, it just that, you know, but everybody kind of had a seat at the table. Very few people, you know, if you gather together for family, you know, the whoever's hosting that dinner is making sure everybody's got a seat at the table. And, and I think we've reached this point uh, in our society here in this country where more and more often the Christian voice does not have a seat at the table. Uh, even to the point of in, in the last inauguration of our president, uh, when um, you know religious leaders are often called into those events to uh, you know offer up prayers and that sort of thing, and there were uh, religious leaders from multiple faiths there to offer up prayer, and the the Christian that they had invited uh, to pray at that event was, um, or I should say, the evangelical Christian. Uh, was a guy by the name of Louis Giglio. You may have heard of him. Uh, he is the leader of the Passion Movement. Uh, they do these uh, young adult conferences, worship conferences called Passion, and uh, they put out uh, albums and really great worship stuff. But anyway, uh, Louis Giglio is one of the nicest guys uh, that you could ever... I mean, he's, he's not the, the stirrer up of controversy. He's not that guy, right? Just a super nice uh, guy, powerful, powerful speaker. He was invited in to speak, and somewhere along the way, uh, before the inauguration, somebody dug up a, a statement of, that, you know, of, from a sermon or something that he had given uh, literally like 15 years ago uh, you know, that, that was uh, talking uh, basically about alternative lifestyles and that sort of thing and the Bible's position and what the Bible calls sin. And, he, uh, and, and when that came out, he was uninvited to pray and no replacement was found. And at that event, 
uh, we literally had no voice at the table. Literally, I mean, every other God was prayed to at that event except ours, except ours. And, and that is becoming more and more, the, and again, that's not a political statement. It's just a statement of fact, a statement of reality that more and more as time goes on, uh, not just in political arenas, but in other arenas of, of our society, the Christian voice is kind of being relegated to the outskirts of, of the conversation to where, uh, go back to those moments in, in your, you know, the, your childhood, uh, you know, your Thanksgivings or whatever, and, uh, and, and, you, remember, and you remember the, the uncle who would bring his girlfriend who was out of her mind to those dinners, and, and, and everybody was just like this creepy Jane or whatever her name was, and, 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 and just, you know, kind of tolerated her. And we have now, in the Christian faith, found our place in the position of creepy Jane where it's like, okay, they're just cuckoo. They're going to say a lot of crazy stuff. Don't pay any attention. We're going to do our own thing over here. And, and so, as, but this is the thing. When you, when you interview people, and when, you know, when pollsters go out and talk to people about their faith and uh, you know, where they are and what they believe and what their opinion of religion is and that sort of thing, uh, more and more what, the, what they find out is um, you know, people are extremely turned off by Christians, Extremely turned off by the church, uh, but rather fond of Jesus. Rather fond of Jesus. We like Jesus. Jesus is cool. Like what Jesus taught. Jesus was a great teacher. But the whole, you know. But when you really dig into what Christians believe, um, you know, I, I don't know. I'm okay with Jesus. Not okay with all of, all of the doctrine and the dogma and the, you know everything else. So what we find though, and so, so th- this opinion starts to rise up of. You know, we like Jesus because he was a good teacher, because the things that Jesus said were was messages of love and acceptance and forgiveness and grace and 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 things like that, and and they tend to focus on one aspect of Jesus's personality and teachings and ignore the complete picture of who Jesus was, uh, and it's not that Christians like to point out. Uh, the non-flowery parts of Jesus, we just want to embrace the Jesus who was, not the Jesus that we pick and choose, okay? And so what I want to read in this passage today is is that when we worship Jesus, and here's the thing about Jesus, and the title of this week's message is Jesus Christ Superstar, that Jesus, um, back the historical Jesus, the Jesus that that walked the earth 2,000 years ago, literally started off as this rabbi with a handful of, of followers kind of traveling through the countryside uh, preaching a message that uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and preaching the message of what the new kingdom was going to look like and that sort of thing and what kingdom values were and, and uh, offering forgiveness to people who were the outcasts of, that, of the society at the time. And, 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 and that as he went from, you know, from countryside to countryside preaching the message of the good news, the message of the gospel... Uh, what began to happen is is this this rabbi with a small group of followers began to have a large group of followers to the point that thousands of people were following him around to hang on every word that he said. Uh, there was life change in his words, but there was also miracles to be seen and witnessed to. That when Jesus came on the scene, uh, part of him revealing that the kingdom of God was at hand was... Uh, through through the the great miracles that we read about, you know, the feeding of thousands out of 
you know, a sack lunch, the, uh, you know, uh, the walking on the water, the healing of people, the raising of the dead, the casting out of demons, all these things that were happening that if you stayed close to Jesus, there was not only were you going to hear a, a good message, there's a good chance there was going to be a show. There was a good chance you were going to see something that you wanted to tell your kids about someday. And, and, and so all these followers began to follow him. I mean, just, just I mean, to the point, can you imagine, seriously, this is, this is uh, you know, first century. And, 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 and by the way, first century because Jesus was such a superstar, we divided time by him. That when Jesus came on the stage, somebody... Some group of people got together and said, oh, we got to totally change the calendar because of this guy. I mean, that's, that's some power. Like, we've seen some powerful, influential people rise up in our time. But nobody has ever said, man, Martin Luther King was so awesome that when he was born, let's just start over at one. Like, nobody has done that. I'm not, that's, that's not a thing. I love Martin Luther King. I'm just saying, there has been nobody with the kind of influence, with the kind of world change influence that uh, other than Jesus that when you look at when you look at Jesus it, it, he he is he is everything he is everything i mean history hinges on him and when people gathered to him and go go again go back in your mind first century the way they would live very kind of primitive according to our way of living and Jesus would gather on a hillside somewhere with Five to 10,000 people gathered to hear him with no microphone, no microphone, no PA system, no nothing, just people. I mean, can you imagine the hush that must have been? I mean, we've been in large crowds, right? I mean, if you go, if you go, if you go to, you know, a, a Kings game or something, an average game, that's probably the, the, the type of crowd that you're going to see there. And at that game, if there was no PA system and one person standing in the middle of that arena trying to talk to everybody, can you just, again, put yourself in that crowd, you know, 2,000 years ago and the hush that must have just fell over 2,000 people as they hung on every word that he was trying to say. And we have this kind of, we have this kind of uh, image of Jesus that he, he must have been this very kind of meek, soft-spoken guy. But you can't be meek and soft-spoken when you're speaking to 10,000 people with no microphone, right? Isaiah has been telling people, <laughs> I don't know why it's come up a lot lately, but Isaiah, my son, has <coughs> excuse me, been talking to people, inviting people to church and stuff like that. And, and he'll tell them about me and, and how I'm the pastor and, and how I preach and, and say, his whole thing is, well, all he really does is yell a lot. That's his thing. And, and, uh, and so, but I, I guarantee you, Jesus was yelling much louder than I yell at you guys, Okay. I mean, he just had to. He just had to. And so, again, just that they hung on every word. I mean, that these crowds. And then, you know, you, you fast forward into as he comes into Jerusalem and he's arrested and he's tried, he's beaten, he's tried, he's crucified, and, and his followers just fall away. Because most of them were there for the show. Most of them were there for the show. Except for a handful. A handful stayed with him, stayed faithful, and... And uh, the rest is history. The rest is history. So when we talk about Jesus in our world um, today and why he's such a big deal, why, I mean, why is Jesus such a big deal to us? He's, he, he's not just a good teacher. He's not, not just a good teacher. 
Jesus, you know, other people have said this better than I'll say it right now, but Jesus does not leave us that option. You cannot say Jesus was just a good teacher, but I don't believe he was God because Jesus does not leave you that option to believe that. That Jesus in his own words will proclaim that he was the son of God, that he was God in the flesh, that Jesus in his own words do that. And when somebody comes up to you and tells you they are God, they are either God or they are a lunatic. There's no middle ground. There's no middle. If somebody comes up to you today and tells you, I'm God, you should follow me. You're calling somebody about that person and not like we got to follow this guy. No, that's not what you're doing. You're calling so they can go get him some help. Jesus doesn't believe that he's either God or he's a complete lunatic. And when you see the kind of change that has come over the world because of Jesus Christ's influence, because of the influence of his followers and how they perpetuated his message and the gospel that he started and everything else, when you see that, it's powerful. And as that influence grew and grew and grew and spread across the world and changed governments and changed leaders and all kinds of stuff and just continued to grow and grow and grow, and massive, massive movements were, were started in his name and lots of good and lots of you know, societal change happened in his name and it just continued to grow and grow and grow. And now we've reached this point where we're headed back to uh, almost the way things in, were in the first century where the movement of the church was this kind of fringe movement that people weren't really sure about and didn't know, really know what to think about until they got involved in it and their lives were changed. And we've, start, we've kind of come full circle to that place in our country today where we've been pushed out to the edges. But when people can get over their mental blocks about church and about Christians and about Jesus and everything and really get in there and experience it, we still see lives are, lives are continuing to be changed. And Paul has this little discourse here that we're going to read in Colossians chapter 1, start with verse 15, where he tells us about Jesus. And it, this is, this, today is going to be kind of a massive theology lesson, okay? So, and and uh, I love theology. Um, I'm a, kind of a theology nerd. Uh, but we're going we're to get into the person of theology. If you want to know what kind of theology we're talking about today, it would be a, a brand of theology called Christology because it's the theology of Jesus Christ. Uh, the study of Jesus Christ. And, and Paul lays out in, this, in just a couple of paragraphs in, in, in such a complete, full way of who Jesus was, that he was not just some good teacher, but who he was to us, why Jesus is so important to us. Uh, I want us to kind of go through, go through this right now. So starting with verse 15, we're, I'm gonna, it's going to be different. I, I know a lot, a lot of times I, 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 I preach different than I'm going to preach today, but we're going to kind of go through this phrase by phrase because each phrase is so rich. So rich. It's kind of like a checklist of who Jesus was. So uh, Colossians 1, start with verse 15. Let me get a drink of water. <coughs> All right. It says this. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We're going to stop right there. I'm going to kind of go back through that. Uh, powerful statement right off the bat, but there's so much packed in this statement. Let me kind of unpack it for you. He's the image of the invisible God. 
that, and he's, and what's it, the firstborn of all creation. Now, we, we have been, you know, if, if you've been in church very long, you, you've heard this, this, this kind of statement that we are image bearers of God. That we, you know, the, you go back to Genesis, it says man was created in God's what? Image. We are the image bearers of God. And Jesus is the firstborn of that creation. What Paul is saying here, he's not saying that, that God created Jesus. That's not what he's trying to say. What he's saying that he is the original image bearer. He is the original image, the most, the supreme, the most important, the, 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 that we are actually patterned after that Jesus is the image bearer of God. When Jesus came to earth as a man, you know, God poured into flesh. He was the original image bearer of God. And he existed not just from when Mary gave birth to him, but all the way back to uh, creation and beyond that he is the original image bearer of God. The original, okay? Uh, For by him all things were created. Christ himself uh, was actively involved in the creation of the universe. In fact, he is kind of the secret sauce of creation. He's the, he is the catalyst by which everything was created. That God pours himself, you know, and, and again, we got this whole concept of Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and they're, they're all one, but they're also separate. Uh, think about it too hard, your head will explode, but that's, just, but that's the kind of God we serve. We want a God, I want a God that I can't quite understand. If I can understand him, then there's problems, okay? So, so here, but this is God, um, but absolutely pouring himself in and through the Son, um, um, equal and one and different and all that kind of stuff, but, but using Jesus as the catalyst, the secret sauce, if you will, over all creation, that, that all, everything we see, everything that we are, was done through Jesus Christ. That's why it, it's so ridiculous when, when, when you fall into that whole idea. You know, it's very popular kind of thinking today that, that well, the Old Testament is kind of, talks about, you know, the God, we, we all serve the same God. When you go to the Old Testament, uh, you know, it's, it's the God of the Christians, it's the God of the Jews, it's the God of, of Islam. It's all the same God in, in, in the Old Testament. And it's when Jesus comes on the scene that, that things kind of break apart and, 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 and fall apart in terms of that. No, 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 no. Jesus was on the scene from the very beginning. This is not a book about a God of three religions in the first part and then, and then Jesus in the last part. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And anybody who tries to break Jesus out of any part of this book, you, you, you damage the image of God. You damage the, the image of God that is portrayed in this book because Jesus is present from the very beginning. If you haven't seen, uh, it was like a year or two ago when they uh, aired the, the Bible miniseries on the History Channel. It was so well done. It was really great. Not perfect, but very well done. And, uh, and one of the things I love so much about that miniseries is they portray that so well that Jesus was involved and active and present from the very beginning, all the way back, all the way back, all the way back. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And there's this idea that we're going to, I'm going to do a series here soon about the kingdom and what the kingdom means and everything. 
But this idea of heaven and earth, visible and is invisible, we're, we're constantly through Scripture being pr- shown this God that is, uh, that is visible and invisible. There's this concept of invisibility, and there's a concept of, of a visible kingdom and an invisible kingdom. And, and, and what we're going to look at that, that, that as Jesus ushered in the, the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, that it is, it is present here and now in the world that we live in, and it's also present in a realm that's all around us that is invisible to us that we can't see. And when he says that he was, um, <coughs> how, how does he say it there? Uh, all things were created, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, that Bible school, scholars will tell us that, that, that those, those four terms uh, are not just, uh, you know, you would read that at first light and think, okay, he's talking about the authorities of this world and things like that, that those are actually um, uh, from old Jewish, Paul's using the same word from, from words from old Jewish teachings that talked about the angelic world, the spiritual world, and maybe the rankings or different types of angels, and, and that would also include fallen angels and that sort of thing like that. And so what he's saying is that, Jesus Christ is the creator, not of, all, not of just of everything that you can see, but of everything that you can't see. He's the creator of it. He's Lord of it. He's in control of it. And the word doesn't go on further to kind of give us details about that, what, you know, what all those rankings and, things and positions look like. And so I'm not going to conjecture either, uh, but, but this is what you need to know. That when you're going through, as a follower of Jesus Christ, when you're going through those seasons in your life, when you just feel... Um, a heavy spiritual attack. And there's lots of talk today uh, about spirit, the spiritual world and spiritual attacks and being under attack and, and uh, demonic oppression and things like that. And this is not what this sermon is about, and so I'm not going to get into all that, but I will just say this, that when you feel that heaviness, that attack, when, when you know, spiritually, like, like, the enemy of God is trying to sidetrack you or destroy you or keep you down, which is what the enemy of God is trying to do. You need to know that those agents, those spiritual agents that would attack you have a creator as you have a creator. That those spiritual agents that would try to destroy you are ultimately under the lordship of Jesus Christ and they have been defeated and they have been defeated. And so while you might feel that oppression, while you might feel that attack, that the God who lives in you through the spirit of Jesus Christ, the God who lives in you has defeated that which is attacking you already. And that is good news. That is good news. Because our, the way our minds tend to work when we're under those attacks, it can feel so, we can feel so isolated, we can feel so defeated, we can feel like, God has abandoned us, and you look back through all of, all of the Bible, you know, follower after follower after follower of God has felt abandoned by God at one time or another, but God is present with us, he is here with us, he is, he, he, he is, he is victorious with us and over our enemies, and, uh, and there's hope in that, there's hope in that. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. That literally, it is Jesus Christ that is keeping this world from completely spinning out of control. That he holds all things. Jesus was not just some dude 2,000 years ago. He is God. He is God. And 
as just as much as he holds this whole universe together in a big picture type of things in ways that we don't even think of, he holds our fragile souls together as well. And like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the, the God who started this work of salvation in your life will be faithful to complete this work of salvation in your life. And it's him that will complete it, not any effort of you. It's him that will complete it. It's him. Go on to the next part, verse 18. And he's the head of the body, the church. This is very important. You need to know that the head of this church is not Pastor Jeff. The head of this church is not me. It's not the other elders. It's not any other teachers or leaders in this church. The head of this church is Jesus Christ. That I, I and the elders may be pastors of this church, but pastors by definition are servants, not the head. And we serve Christ and we serve you. And, and, and according to the, the New Testament, we have been given uh, also certain spiritual authority over you to help you and foster that spiritual growth in you and that sort of thing. But we are servants. We are not the head. Jesus Christ is the head of Living Hope Church. Amen? Jesus Christ is the head of Living Hope Church. And if any leader in this church ever tries to lead you down a path that is contrary to the words of Jesus Christ, you are to immediately punch them in the throat and fire them. That's, that's the way this goes. That's the way we do church around here, okay? So we, 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 don't, we don't tolerate that. Jesus is the head of this church, and we will always ultimately turn to him for that leadership. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. This is so good. That when we talk about Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, this is the reason that Easter is such a big deal to the church. Easter is such a big deal to the church, not just because we get a bigger crowd and it's a lot of fun and, you know, it's just, you know, you know more voices singing and all that sort of thing. The reason Easter is such a big deal to the church, this is the reason. You guys, you guys know I'm a big, uh, uh, like, movie buff and stuff like that. And, and uh, one of the things I love doing with my kids, and I, I raise up other movie buffs, and um, one of the things that we love doing is we have um, an Apple TV device on our, on our, on our TV, and in there, there's a, a little uh, icon, a little app, I guess you'd call it, that, that you can click on and, uh, for trailers. And you go in and, and you watch all the, the upcoming movie trailers. I love movie trailers. I love them. They're just something so, I mean, I, I like to get there early to a movie to see all the trailers, see what's getting ready to come out. And when I see a great trailer, I'm so excited. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm calling my son. I'm calling my daughter. I'm like, Have you, did you see that trailer? Have you seen it? Go look at it right now. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. It looks so great. And we, get, we just get so stoked about these movie trailers because it's just like, it's, when you, and when you get that just little glimpse, especially when it hits you in a really surprising way, like you weren't expecting to see that movie come out. Or, or, you, or it's maybe you were, knew it was coming, but it's your first glimpse at what it might look like and that sort of thing. And it's just like, oh, that looks so good. I can't wait to see that movie. Jesus is the trailer. Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. Jesus is the firstborn, the first fruits of the resurrection. And what that means is that when we look at the resurrected Christ, we are getting the trailer, the preview for what's coming in our own lives. And that is powerful because Jesus is the first one to step out from the first human being that ever walked the earth that was resurrected, 
risen to that glorified state that we are all promised where we are given new bodies someday. It's that weird glorified state to the point that when he rose, his, his disciples didn't immediately recognize him. There was something we don't quite understand. There's not a lot of detail there, but he was not immediately recognizable. It wasn't until they saw him offer up a prayer of a blessing over a meal that they were like, oh my gosh, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. It's just the same way. That, that's Jesus. And, and, and there was something different. They were walking down a road with him, talking to him, and didn't quite recognize him at first. But the resurrected Jesus would begin to appear, and, and it was because he was in his glorified state. And he is the trailer. He's the preview for what's coming in our own lives. And there's coming a day when, when we will follow after the firstborn, after Jesus. And in his example, we will also be glorified, resurrected, and glorified in the same manner that he was in that that is awesome. That is awesome. The firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That's a great word, preeminent. Everybody say preeminent. Preeminent is this word that basically means just superior and first. Superior and first. He, he was the first one to go down that path that we'll all eventually go down someday that we're, if we're following Jesus Christ. And he is the first one to do that. And he, so he is, he is superior. He is first. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. There, there's, there's a lot of idea that Jesus was kind of just a man, uh, you know, and, and not quite God and that sort of thing. No, God poured his whole self into the, this pile of flesh that we call Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And the point I want, want you to get here is, is, that, is that it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. This whole thing, this whole world, this everything, that Jesus is the key to everything. That, that dumb question that's been asked for centuries of what's the meaning of life and all that kind of stuff. And, and it, it's Jesus. Jesus is the meaning of life. What, or, or the dumb question of, you know, how do you define love? Jesus is how you define love. How do you define justice? Jesus is how you define justice. Everything, everything that we are, everything that we ever will be, everything that, that, that human endeavors do, it's all about Jesus. Every bit of it. It's all about Jesus. Keep going. Colossians 1, 21. And you, and you, talking to us, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled. Hold on just a second. So now, can we just be honest for a second and just say that most of us, when we look back over our lives, probably don't identify with that statement that we were alienated and hostile, doing evil deeds, like when I look back over my, I mean, I've, I've made some mistakes, don't get me wrong. I've made some doozies. But when I kind of categorize who I have been as a person, like the doer of evil deeds is not the first thing that pops into my head. Like I tend to think I'm an okay, at least, at, at least an okay guy, right? At least okay. I'm not evil. I'm not evil. I'm not the doer of evil deeds. I'm not hostile in my mind towards God. But here's Paul talking to a church saying, and you who were once hostile in mind, who were doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. And what we have to realize is that whether you identify with that statement or not, it is us. It is us. That's who we are. 
rebellious against God, doers of evil deeds. That's who all of us are. And you may think, I've, but I've never even really done anything that bad. I mean, I've done, you know, I've lied a few times or whatever, but I'm not that bad. But, but, but the problem is you're only not that bad compared to everybody else. When you compare yourself to the true measure of the holiness of God, like, for instance, some of you guys know that I recently got a cat. I, I'm sorry. I, I won't. Anyway, so I got this cat. And, um, and I was, I, I, I've been really, I forgot, I had a cat as a kid. Um, but I've forgotten how kind of smart cats are. They're much smarter than dogs. Dogs are, uh, dogs are great. I love a dog. I mean, I'm a dog guy. But, but let, we, really, we love dogs because of their dumbness, right? I mean, they're, they're kind of dumb, right? And, but a cat is, like, really uh, smart. And, and, like, to the point that when we got this cat, like, before the end of the day, completely litter box trained. I mean, it just happened by itself. It just, it's just, just, like, instinctive, this little kitten. And, and really smart. But, but here, here's the deal. Um, I am, I have no illusion that somehow that cat is smarter than me or any of you for that matter. It's a, it's a, I, that cat may figure out what box to go evacuate in, but it can't repair the highway. It can't build a skyscraper. Of course, I can't either for that matter, but, but that's a different matter. But it can't do these things that, that humans are capable of doing. The measure is completely different. It's only smart by cat standards, right? When you compare it to us, not very smart at all, actually. Not very smart at all. I mean, it can't really, it cannot figure out that its tail is attached to it, okay? And so it's not that smart. And, and it's the same thing with us, that when you look at who you are as a person, you think, well, I'm a, okay, I'm not necessarily evil. I wouldn't call myself evil. But compared to the perfection, the righteousness, the holiness of God, you on your best day are evil. On your best day. Sitting here in church, singing praises to God. We are so far apart and so far removed from the holiness of God, we forget how evil we are. We forget how broken we are. He's reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That through his sacrifice for us on the cross, he paid our debt that we could not pay, our sin debt. He died the death that we were not perfect enough a sacrifice to die. And he paves the way for us to live in relationship with God. Holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. I want want to sit there for just a second, real briefly. And you guys, if if you've been in church world very long, you know there's kind of two main theological ideas about salvation and and and, and i'm not gonna i don't have time to get into all of it but there's a, a camp of, of thinking about salvation called the calvinist camp and there's a camp of th- thinking about salvation called the arminian camp and and people tend to fall evangelicals anyway tend to fall in one of those two camps and 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 basically the short of it is that Calvinists will get very uncomfortable with statements like this one uh, that say, if, that, 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 you know, that he'll present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, 
if indeed you continue in the faith. Because according to the Calvinist way of thinking, and by the way, I have Calvinist leanings and Arminian leanings. I'm kind of a Calminian, okay? And so, but according to that, that kind of strict Calvinist way of thinking, there is nothing we do for salvation that because of the sovereignty of God, uh, we do not have a sense of free will to choose God, that he has chosen that for us because of his sovereignty, and we just, because we are the creation and he is the creator, we fall in line with what he has preordained, okay? Now, and there is teaching in the Bible that, that definitely uh, leans in that direction, that, that sort of thing. But then when you, when you have passages, which there are many of them in the Bible, that, that kind of say statements like this, if, you cont- if, you, if indeed you continue in the faith. And I know I just preached a sermon a week or two ago where, where I talked about how uh, it is G- and I just mentioned earlier that it's, it's Christ or it's the Holy Spirit that started this work in us. It's the Holy Spirit that will finish this work in us. It's not any work of our own. That's that, and so how does that, how does that, uh, how do you justify that with a statement like this? And I, I was thinking through that because, because I think both are, well, they are, they're both in the Bible. So both are true. It's, I love Rick Warren always says, if, if I read one thing in the Bible and then I read another thing in the Bible and they seem to contradict the problem is not in the word. The problem is in my understanding, okay? And so you have to dig deeper. It's, I mean, it's really easy. It's really easy to kind of look at something that looks like a contradiction and say, ah, well, the Bible is flawed. That's easy to do. But to dig in a little bit further is different. And I was thinking a, 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 a weak analogy of this. I'm going to try to give you a, 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 the best analogy that my cat-owning mind came up with. And that, that is this. If you were shipwrecked, um, um, you know, just um, without anything in the ocean. Uh, you're, just, just, you're just floating, trying to, you know, tread water in the ocean. There's nothing there to keep you afloat. You are in dire need of a savior, so to speak. You're in dire need of someone to come and, and offer you um, assistance so that you don't drown because, you know, even the best of swimmers can't swim nonstop all the way across our oceans, okay? I mean, even the very best. I mean, they, they, they all get in the boat and rest for a little while when they try it, okay? So, but this, if, if, if you find yourself in the middle of the ocean or whatever, trying to find land, trying to stay alive, trying to not drown, and you are in need of somebody to, to save you, and you are, some, somebody provides a boat, a little raft or something for you to get in and says, and says to you this, I, I've, I've provided the means for you to be saved, for you not to drown, stay in the raft. Stay in the raft. And when you get to where you're going, when you get to where the raft is going to take you, life will be great. Life, will, it'll, it'll all sort itself out. Everything's going to be great. Everything's going to make sense. You'll, you'll be fine. You'll be completely saved at that point. Stay in the raft. You have the choice to say, no, I don't want the raft. I think I'm going to try to leave the raft and swim on my own. And Jesus is, is, is kind of that way for us. When he offers salvation to us, we didn't do anything to build the raft. We didn't do anything to deserve him offering us the raft. It is a completely free gift that he provides for us, and all he asks of, of us is stay in the raft. Stay in the raft, and when you get to your destination, everything will be great. Everything will be great. And I think that's, it's a somewhat weak uh, uh, picture of salvation, but in my mind it made sense at least yesterday. Maybe tomorrow it won't. But, but, but it made a little bit of sense that, again, you have the choice to jump out of the raft if you want. 
But that's not, just because you have a choice to jump out of the raft doesn't mean that God is not sovereign. No, he has provided the means for your salvation if you'll just stay with him. Just stay with him. And that's why there's so much talk in the Bible about us being faithful to the end, that we persevere in our faith, that we do all these things. It's not that you work your, out your own salvation. It's not that you're saved by your work. Just stay with God and let him work it all out. Does that make sense? Just stay with God and let him work it all out. So that's my Calminian philosophy. Okay. Um, so very, very, at the very end there. So, um, you know, if indeed you continue, uh, and then uh, down at the end, which, um, the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And this is, this is the end. When Paul says this phrase of that gospel, that good news that we just talked about of who Jesus is and what he has done for us and all that kind of stuff, the hook, the great part of all of this is that not only does he save us, not only does he give us that raft and promises us a great future, but he puts us to work in the here and now. And we right here in the here and now, when we become ministers of that gospel, as Paul became a minister of that gospel. And by the way, we're all ministers of the gospel. You know, just because I'm the guy that, that's, uh, the, you know, the uh, uh, professional, so to speak, <laughs> doesn't, mean, doesn't mean that I am more or less of a minister than any of you. We are all ministers. That just simply, again, is another word for servant. You are, you are a servant of the gospel. You are serving the gospel to other people. We are all ministers of the gospel. And, and God, in his grace and in his wisdom, has not only saved us for a future, has not only saved us for heaven, he has saved us for here. And he has work for us to do. And our work is to minister that gospel to everybody that we come in contact with, to spread that gospel, to be ministers of that good news, to tell people about Jesus, to make the name of Jesus famous, to make Jesus Christ a superstar one more time here in the here and now in this world that tends to be falling away from him. It is our responsibility to get that word out. And if you're that person that says, that tends to think, well, my faith is kind of a personal thing, again, the Bible does not leave you that option. That we are saved not only for the glory of, well, okay, I think it falls in that category too. We are saved for and to the glory of God. We are saved for and to the glory of God. And so when we become saved, when we begin life and a faith life when in Jesus Christ, we have work to do. We are now ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is our work to make the name of Jesus famous. Can I, can I just, before, we're, I know we're out of time, but, but just real, kind of in the closing thing right here. This is one of the most important reasons for us to move forward as a church and to continue to try to grow as a church not only in bringing people in, but growing spiritually ourselves as well, bringing people in to the point which you you guys have have, have done a great job of, I want to encourage you to do even better, but bringing people in to the point to where this is no longer a suitable meeting place for us, that we have to move on somewhere else. Why? Because we have to make the name of Jesus famous. We cannot be content with what we have. We have to be pressing forward. We have to be moving forward. We have to be about... Uh, our work of kind of following in Jesus' example of that first fruits example of helping to usher in the kingdom in the here and now. 
That's our work. We're bringing in the kingdom. We're bringing in the kingdom. And as we move forward, and as we look for open doors and greater opportunities and, and better ways to minister and, and, and newer places to minister and things like that, it's not because of setup. Hear this. Don't miss this. We're, we, we're not looking for another location for our church because we're, we're tired of setup. That's not the reason. We're looking for a new place because Jesus will not allow us to sit still. Jesus will not allow us to sit still. And as a church, we will do everything in our power to continue to advance the name of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of Jesus Christ in this, communica- in this community where he has given us as a mission field. We will do everything that we can. And if we feel that we have a greater opportunity to make the name of Jesus famous and advance his kingdom in this community, in a, in a location different than this gym, in a more permanent location that where we can you know, just do, do a better job of that, then that's what we're going to do. Not because of us, not because we're tired of putting chairs up and down, but because it's all about Jesus. And so the last statement, so we're all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, so we're all about Jesus. And we will be about the business of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And your word is good to us. And we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much that you saw fit to glorify him, to lift him up, and to make his name famous. And God, we want to join you in that mission. We want to join you in that mission. So first of all, God, thank you so much (coughs) that you sent your son so that we could be saved that you offered us that raft, and God, help us uh, to stay in it, even when we feel under attack, even when we feel discouraged, help us to stay right there with you, and we will trust that, in the, that even further down the road, you'll deliver us in a, more full or in, a, in, a, in a more full way, and so God, help us to stay with you, and God, if there's anybody in the room right now that has kind of been uh, kicking the tires on this whole faith thing and, and trying to decide whether or not they want to enter into a relationship with you. God, I pray that you would offer that raft to them one more time right here. God, that your Holy Spirit would just speak to them in the moment right now. And so, God, I pray right now that you would grant them the faith to receive you. God, that you would grant us all the faith and the grace to, to stay with you. God, help all of us to be so mission-minded, so Jesus-minded that we are obsessed with growing your fame right here in Dixon and and, and in the communities around us. Let that be our singular focus. We pray all this in Jesus' name.